Don't change that channel just yet because the animation podcast is on. Hello everybody and welcome to the animation podcast, a weekly podcast about all things animation brought to you by Filmbook. My name is Matt Brunet, but some of you may know me as Adamat from my YouTube channel, Electric Dragon 505, home of web series that are all about animation, including Animation Look Back and Animat's Reviews. Now, if this is your first time here in the Animation Podcast, well, in here, let me tell you, if you're looking for a podcast that's about animation, then this is exactly the perfect place for you. In fact, you could not be more straightforward than this podcast right over here. Well, at the very least, for the most part, you'll understand what I mean regarding the subjects I will talk about later. Which, speaking of which, in terms of what I will be talking about in this episode, I will first start off by paying homage to the late and great Aiseo Takahata. Then afterwards, we will be talking about what Lee Unkrich said in an interview, and something of which I highly do agree with him. Then afterwards, we will be going back into Deadpool and something that was recently released related to the Dead series. Then we will be talking about one of my favorite animated features sporadically getting a re-release, to my surprise. And then finally, we will end things off with Animat's Pick of the Week. Now, if you want to check out more episodes of the Animation Podcast, then all you have to do is head on down to Filmbook, which is film-book.com, by searching the Animation Podcast. You can also email us at podcast.filmbook.com with the Animation Podcast in the subject line. Now, for our first story that we have right over here, I'm not usually a fan to start things off in a bit of a somber and a sad tone. But recently, this news just came to my attention, and it really is unfortunate to hear one of the great legendary animators that is no longer with us. And this is a man who has truly made a great impact in the history of animation, and especially in Japanese animation. And this is the kind of person that... If you haven't heard of his name before, but you're a huge fan of stuff like anime, then this is a man that you should know about. And who I am referring to is regarding Aiseo Takahata. Yes, this week, sadly, Aiseo Takahata has passed away at the age of 82. Now, there is no confirmation regarding what happened to him, what was the cause of death, but it has been reported that in 2017, he was in poor health and he had some heart conditions. So it was pretty much a long time coming for the fate of Aiseo Takahata right there. Now, regarding who he is, though, of course, many people will point out that Aiseo Takahata is the co-founder of Studio Ghibli. But one thing that really is fascinating about him is actually the fact that he, he is much more than that. He's much more than someone who founded one of the greatest animation studios of all time and also one of the most beloved. This man actually did contribute directly onto animation as well. Now, he actually started out his career in animation back in the early 60s, where he landed a job at Toei Animation and he quickly climbed up the ranks right there, down to the point where um, just a few years after he got the job at Toei, he already made his directorial debut with the movie Horus, Prince of the Sun. 
Now, during his time at Tohei, that's where he would go and meet with uh, who would be later on his longtime business partner, Hayao Miyazaki. And from there, they would work together and they would leave Toei and work on several different projects, including uh, one movie that never came to be, which is a film adaptation of Pippi Longstocking, which sadly nowadays, obviously, it's canceled. It wouldn't be until the mid-80s when he, Miyazaki, and also Toshio Suzuki would all come together and form Studio Ghibli and would go and Takahata would come in and help Miyazaki produce Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. And from there, Isao Takahata would go and actually direct some of his own movies. And the films that he would direct at Studio Ghibli would include Grave of the Fireflies, Only Yesterday, Pompoko, My Neighbor the Yamadas, and then much later on, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. Uh, in which the final, uh, the uh, last one that I mentioned, it was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Animated Feature. That and also the final movie in which he actually worked on in general, which was uh, Michael Dudark the Wit's The Red Turtle, in which he was a producer and that film as well was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. And... Overall, when you look at the life of Isao Takahata, you could definitely tell the kind of man who he is, both in terms of what he did behind the scenes and what he did in the movie. I remember studying a lot about Isao Takahata when I did Animation Lookback Studio Ghibli, and he definitely is quite a fascinating figure to look into, as much as Hayao Miyazaki even, because this is a man who is very well known, like once you do all your research and learn a lot about Isao Takahata, he is a man who is driven by the one thing that he hates and the one thing that he loves, and managed to turn both into something great and positive. And the one thing that he hates is actually tradition. This is a man that hates it to create animation and to create his movies, his works, or whatever in the traditional form of animation, like the classic cel-shaded animation, which from there, yeah, it can lead to some problems. And that's why it has been known to work with Isao Takahata, it would just be pure chaos. In fact, when working on My Neighbor the Yamadas, it was absolutely insane that they would go and do this. And from there, he wouldn't direct uh, another movie until 14 years later with uh, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. So, for a moment, it was kind of a relief for the animators that they had a break from Isao Takahata doing crazy stuff like that. Because he, do he doesn't want to do the classic form of animation that we know it. He wants to do his own style, have a completely different approach. And there are some subtleties in which that he really wants to change. And one great example is with uh, Grave of the Fireflies. If you look closely, you'll notice that the outlines around the characters, they're not black, they're actually brown. He wants to have a different color palette be present in there. And of course, there are some other examples as well on a more different approach. Like, of course, My Neighbor the Yamadas goes into a much more cartoony style and a much different look than what was normally accustomed 
in stuff like uh, Spirited Away or Porco Rosso or any of the works that Hayao Miyazaki has done. And then, of course, you also got The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, which is literally taking ancient Japanese art and bring that to life in the literal sense. So that's the one thing that he hates is that he doesn't want to do the traditional format. He doesn't want to do the textbook template on how to create animated features and animated projects. He really wants to push animation to the next level. But then there is the aspect about what he loves. And this is something that is very prominent in his movies that you could tell that he has this big love for this and that is his country, Japan. It's very fascinating when you do look at each of his movies that he actually did work at Studio Ghibli because you will notice that each of them contain a specific aspect about Japan that he really wants to highlight. And I don't know if that is on purpose or if he really planned that the whole way through, but you could tell that there are certain elements about Japan that he absolutely adores. Now, first off, you do have the element of history, looking into the hardships and sometimes the beauty of Japan's history with Grave of the Fireflies. And then afterwards, you also got the culture of Japan, in which is highlighted onto Only Yesterday. And then you also got the myths and legends of Japan, the stories that they would pass on regarding legendary creatures, and that was highlighted in Pompoko. And then you also got My Neighbor the Yamadas, which is a little bit of a mix in a way where you do get some of the culture, you do get some of the myths, you, get, you do get some of the stories that are highlighted, a, a little bit of a mishmash in there with My Neighbor the Yamadas. And then finally, you got The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, which in that one highlights the stories of Japan. And what better way to end off your directing career by telling the first ever or the oldest Jap Japanese story ever told, which is The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, now fully adapted into this beautiful looking animated feature maybe not necessarily perfect and i mean it is a very long movie in fact i think it does currently hold the record for the third longest animated feature ever clocking in i believe at two hours and 15 minutes which is stupidly long for an animated film but you know the artistry that's been put in there it really does pay off so really, with Iseo Takahata, he truly does bring in an experience that no other director would try to approach. Not even any other Japanese director, because there's a lot of elements that really do work out. I mean, sure, they've been a massive struggle when it comes to creating them and the production. It might be purely insane. And I remember... Um, also, there was a, a bone, like a, a little documentary that they actually created. Like, if you bought the tale of the Princess Kaguya either on DVD or Blu-ray, it will come with a bonus disc where you have a feature-length documentary about the making of the tale of the Princess Kaguya, and you could tell during that production it was quite insane. Where you do have the producer who's trying really hard to bring back Isao Takahata to make another movie. Uh, after like 
again, like after 14 years since uh, My Neighbor the Yamadas, and then he would go and create it, and then they'll notice that they're way behind on schedule. Isao Takahata is making insane demands, and they have to be pretty strict about it, and they even had to delay the release of The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. I think they were originally going to release it at the same time as The Wind Rises, but that couldn't be because of the snail pace that Isao Takahata is trying to do. But the approach that he is doing as well is very demanding, and it requires some very skilled artists to work at Isao Takahata. But you know what? At the end of the day, when you look at all these movies, they really do pay off. Like, you really do feel for the strong impact that many of these films have, that they really do hold this massive power, especially with Grave of the Fireflies, which that one, many people would refer it as his magnum opus and one of the greatest animated features ever made. And not just that, but also one of the greatest war movies that have ever been created. I don't think there's ever been any other movie out there that would highlight the Hiroshima disaster and uh, be as prominent as Grave of the Fireflies, be as well-known about it. It's one of those movies that you watch it and you gotta bring a box of tissues because that thing is gonna make you cry no matter what, because holy crap, what a depressing movie that is. <laughs> no, but yeah, overall... What Isao Takahata has done in the animation industry is just absolutely beautiful. And it's not just his contribution into creating Studio Ghibli, but also with many of the movies that he has created, shows a beauty into Japan. And it shows a beauty onto the crap that he wants to do, uh, showing much more than just the traditional format of creating animated features. He really wants to bring the medium to a whole new level to tell his stories in a very unique way. And he has succeeded for the most part. And honestly, it, it just couldn't be beautiful. I don't know if I could really ask for more. So really, all I could say is just thank you so much for your contribution in animation, Isao Takahata. You will surely be missed and your legacy will surely forever live on. Now, moving on to our next story right over here, we're going to be talking with Lee Unkridge. No, I'm not going to be doing an interview with Lee Unkridge, although that would be an absolute dream, and that would be amazing if Lee Unkridge could actually be a guest star for the animation podcast. But, uh, no, the thing is, is that Lee Unkridge recently, uh, he had a little interview with Little White Lies, and he mentioned about something that is actually very interesting. Now, of course, as you may know, recently there was the release of Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs, his latest stop-motion animated feature, and as you're listening to this, I have already released my review of it, and I can pretty much say that I absolutely love it. It's a very well-made movie, maybe not really high in the ranks as Fantastic Mr. Fox, but uh, definitely worth watching nonetheless. But considering that there was the release of uh, Isle of Dogs, Lee Unkridge actually did make a comment regarding having Wes Anderson on board and mostly having someone who is normally accustomed to making live action movies, but making the jump onto animation. 
Now, if I may read my source here through IndieWire, it has stated, I've actually liked seeing some traditional live-action filmmakers making steps into animation like Wes Anderson. I don't think the two worlds need to be segregated. I think the work that we're doing in animation is very much on par with what's been doing in live action. And the way we make films is similar. So it kind of makes sense for there to be a cross-contamination between animation and live action nowadays. And that's pretty much the big thing that's being highlighted right over here, or at the very least in this IndieWire article, that Lee Unkridge mentioned that he would like to see something like with Wes Anderson, that we would have more live-action directors to go and work on to some animated features. Now, it is actually very interesting to note because there have been some live-action directors that would come into animation and create their own movies. Uh, there are a lot of recent examples that I can think of, in fact. Uh, Charlie Kaufman, not too long ago, actually created Anomalisa. Uh, there was Garth Jennings, the man who directed, uh, what was it? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He would go and actually direct Illumination Sing. And then there's also Nick Stroller, which he's more known to go and direct some comedies and be a writer, where he would be the writer of the live at, of some of the more recent Muppet movies. Uh, he would direct Neighbors and other different Seth Rogen comedies, I believe. But yeah, he's mostly a live-action guy. But he actually made his jump onto animation with Warner Brothers Storks. So there are some examples there. But at the same time, the other way around actually works as well. Where you do see some animation people making the jump onto... Anim uh, animation people making the jump onto live action. And there are a lot of great examples out there. Uh, Brad Bird, of course, he would go and direct some live action films like uh, a Mission Impossible movie and Tomorrowland. Uh, you got uh, Jennifer U. Nelson and Clay Cadis. They got some live action movies coming up. They're current, or at the very least, they are currently working on some. Uh, Tim Burton actually is a classic example. A man even though he didn't necessarily direct an animated feature, like he has done a lot of animation works and he has actually worked at Disney uh, during the late 70s and early 80s, and he would go on to be a very prominent auteur himself and so much more. So it is happening, but what Lee Unkrich is trying to say is that we should actually see more stuff like with what Wes Anderson is actually doing to go and create their own animated features, but they don't have to sacrifice their own filmmaking style. Like with Wes Anderson, like even though stuff like Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, they're pretty much stop motion animated features. But in terms of the way that they made it, in terms of how it's created, how the shots were made, and the angles, and uh, the cinematography, the mise-en-scene, and all that kind of stuff, it is no different than stuff like Steve Zissou or the Grand Budapest Hotel. Like, it is purely a Wes Anderson film. Yes, it's an animated film, but it is a Wes Anderson film nonetheless. And personally, I feel like I could not agree more with what Lee Unkridge is trying to say here. Because, honestly, I feel like this is a great solution if you want people to go and take animation more seriously. 
Because even if we're in 2018 and animation has grown a much bigger and also a more prominent fan base than before, it's still being perceived as a kid's medium. I mean, sure, it's easy for Lee Unkrich to say that I think the work that we're doing in animation is pretty much on par with what's been done in live action. Yeah, that, okay, like, I do agree with you, but you're a director at Pixar. And the thing is, yeah, a lot of people will take Disney and Pixar seriously, but that's more their own thing. In terms of animation in general, they still have a lot more to go and even nowadays they're still trying to stay within the stereotypical kids cartoon things i mean let's be honest movies like hotel transylvania or ferdinand or like whatever illumination uh what was it what whatever illumination Man, I lost my train of thought on that. Oh, what, like whatever Illumination Dr. Seuss film they would release. Like, you know, they're really emphasizing on the cartoon and they're not really doing animation any favors. They're kind of holding animation back to still being seen as the kids medium trying to make goofy little cartoons without really putting much effort into it. Like, not really being good films, but rather just being cartoons and nothing more which would be easily forgotten in like a few months after its release so the thing is is that if we do get more prominent directors to actually work on animated films then it would actually help for people to see that okay maybe animation is not just necessarily a kid's thing it could be something that people could go and take seriously and honestly i would love to see some very popular and prominent directors to go and create their own animated feature any way they want. Like, they don't necessarily have to go into the family-friendly format. They could go and do something adult-oriented. And, like, they, they don't have to hold back. I mean, technically, Wes Anderson didn't hold back with Isle of Dogs. It is a rated PG-13 film, after all. Like, you know, it would actually be awesome to see that maybe we would have... Uh, an animated film directed by Martin Scorsese or Francis Ford Coppola or Guillermo del Toro. We were very close to getting one, but sadly that didn't happen. Or even uh, Quentin Tarantino. And I mean, the closest thing we got to an animated film with that guy is with Kill Bill. And what I mean by that is that you do have that one little segment in part one when you do see uh, one of the people, like Lucy Liu's character, uh, the, the character of Lucy Liu's backstory and it's all uh, anime animated, so you like you do get some close aspects of it, but not entirely. Or even with um, the or, or like another great example would be like the the Wachowski sisters. Why not they do a, an animated film? What I'm saying here is that if you want to find a way to help people to take. <coughs> <coughs> Ah, sorry about that. Uh, what I mean is that if you want to take, if you want to find a way to help people to take animation seriously, and you don't have to go into the direction of like anime and stuff like that, or I, I think uh, what I mean is that if you want to help people to take Western animation seriously, so that it can go on the mainstream and like people can see this as the prominent animation film media, uh, the prominent film medium, than just like kids' cartoon stuff. 
then you need to bring in those people. Now, I'm not saying that we should stop having animation people to become directors. I mean, we could still continue to go and do that. In fact, some of the best directors out there, they would grow from animation. And uh, some examples that I can think of, like uh, John Musker and Ron Clements, uh, Hayao Miyazaki, and all those people. Like, yeah, sure, they can grow from... Like, of course, those people can actually grow from animation. Like, we could continue that. But honestly, we should see more live-action directors take the jump onto animation and see what they can do with it. I don't know what would be the one thing that would encourage it, but like it would require an animation studio to really take risk and to take a risk about it and see where they can go from there. And so far for me, I feel like the closest thing that they can do with it would actually be with, uh, with Illumination Entertainment. I see them trying to do that more considering that they've had success before with Garth Jennings. Maybe it would encourage them to do a little bit more of that, or maybe with Warner Brothers even, because the, the thing is also is that there is also another aspect of what's holding those animation studios back from actually doing that to bringing those prominent directors in, and that is actually with money. And nowadays, you do see companies like Illumination and Sony, they're really trying their best to try to save as much money as they can for their animated features or like not just them but like uh uh illumination sony dreamworks like they're tr they're trying to really pinch in the budget in order to create their feature films now like they're not they're no longer going to go and create like hundred million dollar movies or at least some of them are still doing it but not as much as back in the mid 2000s and stuff like that because the the, the big thing is like having a big name director is going to be pretty expensive. So it would be a lot more cheaper if you just get this one guy who's been working as a storyboard artist for a few years and just have him make his directorial debut. That would be more cost effective. So money also does play a factor. But again, it's a major risk. And if someone is willing to take the risk, then I'm sure that it would be well worth it. And so far, like animation, it's, you know, nowadays it is still being taken as just this little kid's medium trying to make silly little cartoons. But eventually, if we can have more of those directors actually make an animated feature, then I think we could probably get something rolling from there. So yes, I do agree with what Lee Unkridge is saying. And we should see more people like Wes Anderson trying to make the jump to animation. Now, moving on to our next story, this is going to be a little bit of an update to one of the stories that I talked about last week. Now, if you may recall, one of the big stories that I talked about in the last episode of the Animation Podcast is actually regarding the Deadpool animated series, the one that was supposed to be produced by FX and created by the Glover brothers, including Donald Glover, but sadly it ended up being cancelled due to creative differences, or at least that's what FX is trying to say, but Donald Glover decided to go and create this little script uh, which is basically like a little satire 
on uh, the television industry and trying to make an animated series and working on a popular property like Deadpool. Like he just went and created this little script as a response to the cancellation of the Deadpool series. But apparently now we do have a little bit of an update and it seems like it's going to make people a little bit uh, sad over the fact that the Deadpool series is no longer going to happen. Or at least the Deadpool series that we know that would have been done by the Glover Brothers and FX. Because uh, recently, just uh, reading through my source here at the Animation Magazine, as comicbookmovie.com reports, uh, they, or no, wait, uh, yeah, 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 okay. Uh, they have actually released uh, a video that is compromised of test footage submitted by Tip Mouse Animation in a rejected bid for the show. Atlanta-based Floyd County ended up being tapped to provide animation services. Release in a quickly deleted tweet, the, mi the minute plus rough gives a taste of the car- of the, uh, Cart cartoon I think it's supposed to say cartoony but uh, I believe uh, animation magazine kind of uh, misspelled that you better fix that Mercedes um, ultra slapstick violence and foul mouth humor fans were hoping for out of the project so that's pretty much the big thing that we got here is that apparently there was this leaked animation that showed what would it probably look like if it were from Titmouse Animation. Now, all this is just test footage, and not everything is entirely complete. Like, you do see some completed animation happening, and then others, you just see a little bit of storyboard going on. So, it's not entirely complete, but it was at least something, and that's what we got from this. And honestly, if I may give a little bit of my review onto this uh, animated series or like this little test footage, yeah, this really was well animated and you could definitely tell the true spirit of Deadpool still remains in there. Like you got all the jokes, you got the one-liners coming from Deadpool and you got uh, the crazy violence that would come from there. Like, it was funny, it was action-packed, and it really was a lot of fun, and it would have stayed true to the spirit of Deadpool, and it really was great to watch, but then again, this was not, like, if the Deadpool series was actually made, this was not what it was gonna look like. This was, this was just a little example of what it would look like, and the thing is, is that uh, you know, it really, it really is kind of sad to see it go because it, it does, like I said last time, uh, it, it really did have a lot of potential. I've already discussed a lot about my thoughts on the canceled Deadpool animated series in the last episode, so there really isn't a lot that I could add onto here. But this is something that I highly do recommend that you could go check it out, which is currently on uh, Comic Book Movies YouTube channel, or you could just go on on uh, my source that I got. Like you could go through Animation Magazine and check it out for yourself what this uh, animation test is, and uh, you can even give out your thoughts on what you think this uh, little animation test has done. Do you think it, it would have worked out? Like, do you think it would have really captured the spirit of what Donald and Stephen Glover is trying to do with this Dev Deadpool series? Or um, would it be better if uh, it just remained canceled? And honestly, with that said though, 
Uh, you know what would have been really interesting is that instead of just seeing this, I also want to see what Floyd County would have done. Like, what would be their style? And also, we could go and make a comparison from there to see why is it that Floyd County ended up getting the job and not Titmouse Animation. Because I will admit, what Titmouse Animation did here is actually pretty impressive. And it actually would have been uh, a great looking animated series that would have been a nice addition to effects. But who knows what would be the reason. Uh, but for now, I've already said a lot about my thoughts on this Deadpool series. But yeah, it is unfortunate that the series is cancelled. But I will say, Titmouse Animation did a pretty good job here. Okay, so maybe I didn't really have much thought onto that Deadpool test animation right over there. That really is something that you guys should see for yourself and, uh, you should check out to see what you think of what Deadpool actually did in there. But I definitely do have a lot to say regarding our next story right over here, in which uh, this is actually another re-release. And honestly, nowadays, re-releases of older animated features, they're starting to be a little bit more common. Uh, we have seen in the beginning of the 2010 decade and maybe a little bit in the 2000s as well, where you see Disney re-releasing their animated films a lot, like uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., Toy Story, and all that stuff. But nowadays, we are seeing a lot more re-releases of plenty of other animated features going back onto the big screen. You got G-Kids re-releasing all the uh, Studio Ghibli films, and then you also got, uh, what, what else? Oh, you got Fathom Events! re-releasing a lot of Warner Brothers animated stuff. Like, not too long ago, they actually did do a re-release of Yu-Gi-Oh! the movie Pyramid of Light. However, there is another re-release that's actually going to be coming up, and it's going to be in July, which honestly is quite fascinating, because a lot of people would say that July is not going to be a good month for animated features. Like, there will be some released, but there's some of the most least anticipated animated features out there. Hotel Transylvania 3 and Teen Titans go to the movies, and a lot of people are not necessarily excited to go to see what those movies would have in store. But if you want an actual, like, if you want one that you're confident that you know it's going to be a really good movie, well, this film is actually being re-released, and thankfully it's actually one of my favorite animated films out there. Now, to read from my source here, once again, from the Animation Magazine, in honor of the 50th anniversary of Yellow Submarine, a psychedelic 2D adventure and inspired by the Beatles, Apple Corp has joined forces with Abra... A Abramorama and Universal Music Group to bring the film back to theaters across North America this July in a 4K digital restoration and 5.1 stereo surround sound remix. A new trailer and poster has been issued to be re-released. Now, uh, the Beatles previously announced a 50th anniversary screening event for the UK and Ireland, which is already going to be set for July 8th. But for North America, it's going to be sometime in July. Maybe they're going to mix things up, but who knows? Now, uh, it also says here, uh, the 4K update was handled by a team led by Paul Rudum Jr. at Triage Motion Picture Services and Equi Inc., 
with digital cleanup by hand, frame by frame, songs and score were remixed by Abbey Road Studios by music mix engineer Peter Coben. So that's the big thing is that we are actually gonna have Yellow Submarine return to the big screen in honor of its 50th anniversary, which it was originally released back in 1968. Now, I've already done a review, uh, like, not a long time ago, I've already done my review of Yellow Submarine, and it really is such a beautiful animated feature. This is one of the very few animated films out there that I would honestly say that it shows animation as an art form, not just as a serious film medium, but as legitimate art. This is a prominent example of the psychedelic art style that came out of the late 1960s and really one of the most prominent examples of pop art and probably the most iconographic uh, yeah iconographic image that came from the Beatles especially with songs like uh, Yellow Submarine and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds I know they're kind of weird songs and they really don't make sense but this actually gave some very prominent visuals for it and I absolutely adore it for that. Like, not only do you already have some great songs of the Beatles that are incorporated in there, but also, like, you got this fun little adventure entering in this surreal, uh, this surreal world, and you see the beautiful art style all around you. And honestly, I never expected that we would actually re-see, that we would actually see this on the big screen that is actually awesome i never expected that to happen but i guess i can put that on my bucket list so honestly i do feel like it really is cool and the fact that it is north america it's not just in america but also in canada as well that i would honestly say i am really excited for this and uh, so far they haven't released uh uh they, they didn't put any announcements regarding when they're going to be released in individual cities or they didn't announce yet if there's going to be uh pre-orders for tickets or stuff like that but you could go and check it out right now i believe the website is uh, uh yellowsubmarine.film if you want to go and find out more information but yeah uh honestly this is going to be really awesome to go and check out on the big screen to see it in 4k actually to see it clearly it would really be worth it. And if you are an animation fan or if you're a Beatles fan in general, this is definitely worth a watch. And I think this is going to be something that you should definitely do during the summer. And finally, we shall now go and end things off with Animat's Pick of the Week. And so, for this week, I decided that I'm going to go and talk about a story that's been heavily requested to me. Well, maybe not necessarily requested. I've had a lot of people who recently asked me regarding my thoughts on this current situation. This may not be related to animation, but it is definitely related to something that I am a part of, which is online reviewing. And apparently, one of the founding fathers of internet reviewing is currently in massive controversy. In fact, this is the biggest controversy that it has been a part of. There's been a few dramas here and there related to it, but nothing that has been as prominent and mainstream as this. So, if I may put on my little saber sparks for the moment, we are going to be diving deep into mismanagement, drama, 
corruption, and also a whole bunch of internet reviewers. This will be about what ruined Channel Awesome. <laughs> yes, what I will be talking about now will be about what could possibly be the biggest internet news that is going on this week about Channel Awesome and the Change the Channel movement, or more specifically, the hashtag Change the Channel movement. So, with all that said, let's go ahead and get things started to give you a little bit of context of what's pretty much been going on. Now, this all started in the middle of March, where you got some former contributors to the website, including uh, Allison Pregler, aka Obscurus Lupa, uh, Kaylin Saucedo, aka Mars Girl, Holly Brown, who used to be an admin at Channel Awesome, and many more, they decided to go on Twitter and discuss publicly about the wrongdoings that they have experienced at Channel Awesome. Something just brought up and they decided to go diving deep into the discussion from there. And it really went on to become its own big thing. Like, the discussion really escalated to the point where they decided to go and start a movement called Hashtag Change the Channel, where now they're going to be a lot more public about the wrongdoings that Channel Awesome has dumped, done to them. Like, all the history that has occurred, like the mismanagement and how things really got screwed up during the anniversary videos and all that kind of stuff. Now, for the longest time, for many weeks, Channel Awesome has remained silent about it, like they didn't want to discuss it or whatever. It wasn't until this week, however, when they actually released what is pretty much infamous right now, uh, a Google Doc containing 69 pages of all the bad things that Channel Awesome has done in terms of their business practices and the experience that all the former contributors have went through, which tw almost 20 of them have contributed to this, where they would share their stories about really bad events that happened while they're staying at, or, or during their stay at Channel Awesome. And ever since that document was released, uh, the information regarding the mismanagement of Channel Awesome really got trending all over the internet and on social media, where it really exploded and it shed Channel Awesome in general in such a negative light where they have not handled drama of this proportion before. Like I said before, they have went through a whole bunch of drama, but nothing quite like this. And to go specifically onto what the document pretty much said, now I'm not going to be reading it to you live right here in the animation podcast about every single thing that is in this 69 page document. There are YouTube videos out there where you got people reading through the whole thing and reacting to it at the same time. And those videos would last for like five to seven hours, no joke. So um, I have read through it and yeah, like a lot of the things that they said in there, it is shocking and you do see a lot of the patterns of what 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 the problem of the contributors is in there however uh what is actually very nice of them is that they have also released a condensed version releasing 11 points about the problems that is in channel awesome 
And so what I am going to do for you guys to pretty much summarize the 69 page Google Doc known as Not So Awesome, I decided I'm gonna go and uh, read you here these 11 points and I will show it to you in the form of the top 11 horrible things done at Channel Awesome. So with all that said, let us begin at number 11. There has been a pervasive feeling amongst long-term producers that they are no longer valued or appreciated and that Channel Awesome cares only for their in-house development. This has been exasperated by Channel Awesome simply purging the site of any producer that asked to leave without announcement where before there was a heartfelt post or even goodbye videos. Now this one is an example that really did show that Channel Awesome truly has changed at the time and I will bring this up a little bit later, the fact that as time would move on and how the internet would change and the landscape of it, ever since Blip passed away, Channel Awesome immediately went to shift their focus onto from the website to their YouTube channel and it really does show that they care a lot more about that considering that with their uh, website you, you could tell that from there the traffic has been going down and considering that they're showing less care in there they would also show less care about the people that are contributing onto that website. So in that mindset, I do understand where Channel Awesome is going, but I do understand also from the perspective of the former contributors where they feel like they're just left in the dust. Now, let's move on to number 10 right over here. <clears throat> Management has a contentious relationship with producers who try to increase their revenue via internet ads or starting up a Patreon. The former was viewed as encouraging ad block and the latter was viewed as e-begging. Now you will see eventually, I will bring this up a little bit later in one of the points, that this is a little bit hypocritical considering that they did open up an entire freaking Indiegogo campaign doing exactly that, which some people can view it as e-begging in a way. And the way that Indiegogo campaign went, well, that's a whole other story. I will bring it up later. But yeah, this really does suck how they're not allowed to actually do that, to not go and try to find their way to really make more avenue, more, not avenue, more revenue. I, I'm sorry about that. And, um, you know, that like when you're an online producer, like when you're entering into the business of making videos onto YouTube, sometimes you have to find a way to really try to make some money because sometimes YouTube alone really doesn't give you enough, especially like if you're with an MCN or something like that, or if you're gonna go and try to find other sources of revenue, like if you're not just gonna post on YouTube, you're also gonna post on other places to try to make money. And sometimes you gotta have stuff like uh, having more ads onto your videos or you gotta have stuff like Patreon in order to actually have your YouTube channel or to have your video producing business to be a legitimate business. If you wanna try to do this as a full-time job, then you would need those things. And honestly, it really does suck how the management of Channel Awesome think that they really do have control onto how the producers should make money. And it's either their way or they would get kicked out. And that is really a bad practice right over there. 
Now, let's move right along on to number nine. In 2013, there was a big push by many producers to fix the problems with communication and address the possible financial concerns surrounding the sudden loss of the Nostalgia Critic videos. A written document was presented to them, but as mentioned above, many points uh, were either ignored, laughed off, or addressed minimally. So that's one of the biggest issues, and again, it will be brought up a little bit later, where one of the biggest problems that the people of Channel Awesome have is that they try so hard to address the issues onto the higher-ups regarding what they feel like is going wrong at Channel Awesome, do they have any concerns or anything like that, they really don't have anyone to talk to. Like, it really goes one ear and out the other, so... Like, really, they have no one else to talk to regarding if they have a problem or if they have any concerns, if they feel like their career would be in danger or something like that. And especially, it was a major scare for the producers at Channel Awesome when the Nostalgia Critic decided to go and cancel... When Doug Walker decided to cancel the Nostalgia Critic. And from there, like, they want to see if there's something that they can do about it, but... The people at Channel Awesome just don't care. But it could be much worse. It could be like at number 8. Channel Awesome's management has a history of threatening to drop producers for saying things that they felt would make them look bad on social media and in videos. Even when no rules were broken and they weren't mentioned. Now this actually does connect a little bit to the last point that they brought up. Because this is honestly worse than doing nothing. Because not only... Are they incapable of communicating with the higher-ups regarding any problems or concerns, but they're not allowed to speak publicly regarding the problems or concerns. So, really, if you work at Channel Awesome, if you have any issues or if you have any problems with how things are running with the website, then honestly, their answer is just shut up or else we'll kick you out. So, really, um, that that's, like I said before, this is really worse than nothing. So, this is like... If you, like, really not, you're not allowed to address any kind of issues. You're not allowed to even say that how things are going with Channel Awesome is bad or anything like that. You have to portray it as, like, either perfect or you're either out. It's a little bit Trumpian, in a sense, the way that they would run Channel Awesome in that sense, where you're not allowed to give, you're not allowed to give any form of criticism onto Channel Awesome because it's either it goes on to death, uh, death ear or like if you address it publicly then they will treat you pretty badly. Now moving right along, number seven, the filming of anniversary movies and crossovers though enjoyed by many producers as a great opportunity and experience was also fraught with multiple examples of inadequate planning and unprofessional behavior going beyond a simple lack of experience. To Boldly Flee in particular was not a pleasant experience for a large number of cast and crew. Now, the anniversary movies that they are referring to in the documents are Kick-Assia, Suburban Nights, and also To Boldly Flee. And it has been pretty well known that behind the scenes, it was pure chaos. It was a little bit like what was presented in the disaster artists when they were making the room and the thing is is that many of the example many of the examples that they have provided onto uh, what happened during the production of those films there's a lot of injuries that were going on 
Uh, there was one example of a rape scene that some characters, well, like kind of like a rape gag, not a rape scene, but more of a rape gag that some contributors felt uncomfortable with, but they decide, but ultimately Doug Walker decided, okay, they're just going to like, we're just going to put it in anyways. And, um, also like not only injuries and that, but also, uh, there have been reports that they didn't even provide food or water like on the first days of filming. So really not only was the production chaotic, but they don't even have any substance to even survive this. So yeah, making the anniversary videos for many, it was once considered a dream, but for many also, they're pretty lucky that they didn't go through it. Oh, and uh, we're gonna go back onto this now. Number six, when Channel Awesome ran a crowdfunding campaign, it was also mismanaged. They were threatened with investigation by Indiegogo. They then, they then canceled a funded show after 12 episodes of A Promised 40. And the funded show, the canceled funded show that they were talking about, of course, is probably what is known as the worst thing to ever come out of Channel Awesome, Pop Quiz Hotshots. Now, for, at one point, Channel Awesome did run an Indiegogo campaign, which they ended up earning around $90,000. And they promised a lot of stuff for Channel Awesome. And it was stuff that would really contribute to making the uh, studio that they bought really grand, to really make the most out of their studio, uh, which includes making a game show like Pop Quiz Hot Shots, making a comic book show, making a video game show, and all that kind of stuff. But the result of that, very few of it happened, and they lazily put up a, a an entire game show where it just looked so unprofessional. It looked so cheaply made. Like it looked more like it was made for uh, like it was made for $90 instead of $90,000. And apparently what the uh, doc, what what the Google Doc is trying to say is that apparently they had to make those pop quiz hot shots in order to get away from being investigated by Indiegogo from any chances to see that maybe they frauded and scammed people out of $90,000 for no reason other than to keep the you know to keep the company and to keep the studio afloat and that's pretty much it so that's pretty much the big thing with that one right over there so it really is a fascinating story all right now moving right along on to Number five, at least one staff member was asked to work every single day with no holidays or weekends. She was terminated with no given reason and forced to sign an exclusivity contract, barring her from working in the industry for three years at the risk of losing her severance pay. And honestly, the staff member they were talking about, of course, it was Holly Brown, whom, like I said before, was an admin onto the website, or I think I mentioned that before. But yeah, reading her section onto the Google Doc, it really is a sad experience, and I really do hope that Holly Brown's life really did pick up from there, because, yeah, as you could tell, like, by reading her section, it, like, Channel Awesome really did treat her badly. Alright, so, moving on to number four. 
Management of the site was of poor quality, particularly in regards of communication, organization, rule consistency, payment, and transparency. Multiple attempts to bring serious concerns to management regarding this were met with very few, usually minimal attempts to repair. And this is one of the most common complaints that the people of uh, the people who used to work at Channel Awesome have regarding the company is regarding the management and how they're just lazy and almost do nothing regarding any of the concerns they have. Like I mentioned before, really, it just goes in one ear and out the other. And whatever problems they have, it would still remain in there and they wouldn't really do much in order to fix the issue unless it truly is serious or unless it really does affect them directly like if it would affect Doug Walker or if it would affect the website directly onto there if it's about the other contributor as well no one really cares and like I said before it really makes things even worse when you're not really allowed to say that publicly so really it, you you're pretty much left without any options where it's a hopeless result. If you have any problems with it, well, the problem is just going to stay there. All right, so moving right along on to number three. Doug Walker, a.k.a. The Nostalgia Critic, is considered talent and not acting in any managerial role, yet has been involved in many company decisions and knew what management knew as far as is known. He also made sweeping decisions regarding the site that has the potential to drastically affect the income of many producers without consulting them beforehand. So the way that Doug Walker is represented throughout the entire Google Doc right over here is that the biggest thing about him and probably his biggest flaw is the fact that he is careless. He's not necessarily aware about his own actions and how they would drastically effect onto others like maybe he was well intent like maybe he does have well intentions onto it like when he was making the anniversary videos he was hoping that he can make something great that can really honor everyone at channel awesome and stuff like that but the execution of it is not so great sometimes he's focused on one thing that he would forget about many of the other aspects as well and the decision about axing off the nostalgia critic right after to boldly flee that was something that he didn't talk to anyone else it was kind of like a sporadic decision right there that really did shock many of the other contributors and when he did that he didn't really think it through like entirely where he didn't know how it would actually affect many of the other contributors as well because even though Yes, Doug Walker is the main guy of Channel Awesome, but there are plenty of other contributors that are there as well that he completely forgot that if the Nostalgia Critic gets cancelled, then it would also affect them as well. So that's the big thing that they're mentioning regarding Doug Walker's aspect is that even though he keeps on saying that he's not a part of the business aspect, even though he totally is, he would make decisions that... He didn't really think of it through regarding the magnitude of what it would cause. Alright, so moving right along on to 
Number two, the management of Channel Awesome was aware of sexual misconduct and abuse instigated by Mike Ellis, the CFO at the time, and enacted no disciplinary action until over a year later. They were also aware of sexual misconduct by another producer years later, again, not acting for over a year. At least three victims have come forward and requested the offender's name not to be printed. Oh, hello there, hashtag me too. Why, yes, you can help come in and contribute on to hashtag change the channel. Some of this actually does concern you. And so, with all that said, we are going on to number one. The number one biggest issue with Channel Awesome right now is... <clears throat> Mike Michaud. Current CEO of Channel Awesome has a history of being unprofessional, aggressive, immature, difficult, and misogynistic. And you know, it's actually very interesting about Mike Michaud because I've known a lot of people who have been fans of Channel Awesome. But I do not know a single person who actually likes Mike Mashad or would even look at Mike Mashad and think positively of him. In fact, I don't I don't I'm not even sure if I've heard anything good about Mike Mashad because there have been years of an entire history of what he has done and the way that he is running the website is just purely lazy. Like, the way that, like, not only this article, uh, not, not only what the Google Doc is representing him, but from the stories that I've heard, Mike Mashad is pretty much this good-for-nothing lazy slob that all he does is just play video games and pretty much becomes a pimp for internet reviewers. Like, he is exploiting all these online reviewers so that he can get a good chunk of the money that Channel Awesome is making. Like, that's all that he has been doing. But in terms of the decisions that he has been doing, this is the man who caused all the mismanagement. This is the man who actually really is running the business of Channel Awesome and running it very poorly. And if you have an issue and you want to have a discussion with Mike Mashad, it's either he's not going to care or he's going to bully and harass you for it. So that's really the biggest issue of it. If there is a central figure that people have a big problem with Channel Awesome, like if there's one person that these former contributors that they have an issue with, I mean, they will bring up Doug and Rob Walker, but it's mainly regarding Mike Mashad. And with all that said, that's pretty much the whole summary of what the Google Doc is pretty much talking about with all 69 pages. And it is honestly very interesting to see how Channel Awesome themselves is actually reacting through it, uh, reacting to this throughout the weeks that this whole hashtag change the channel movement has been happening. Now, I know that some of you have been saying that, well, animate. Channel Awesome has been doing nothing about it. Well, exactly. Now, it's actually quite interesting to see how Channel Awesome is handling the hashtag change the channel movement because I have been making videos for more than eight years now and I have had my share of drama and controversy. Not necessarily like big ones like what Channel Awesome went through, especially with this, but... 
I've had my fair share of drama, and I would be a absolute liar if I said that I managed to get out of that drama alone. I am very fortunate and very thankful that I've had great friends that helped me out not only to get out of the drama, but to also put me back on my feet in order to go and uh, to actually, you know, be back as Animat to create more great videos for you guys. So with all that said, I pretty much have gotten the knowledge to see what Channel Awesome is trying to do and where is it that is going terribly wrong. Like, what are, like, not only just the steps that they're doing, but also the missteps on how to handle this. And I will say that not saying anything about it, being silent about it, that is the common first reaction is that you don't want to give it the attention that it deserves. You don't want to go and really address the situation head on immediately. Because a nightmare scenario is that you would have your fans be involved with it and they would ask the question, what is happening? Because it's only something that just started out on social media and you just want to keep it low on social media. And from there, the best case scenario that you are hoping for is that, okay, maybe they'll talk about this for a few weeks and then it'll just blow off in the wind and everybody can get back to what they're normal, to, to what they're doing as normal, you know, just uh, let it be back to normal as usual per se. And that was the plan at first. However, that's only a temporary solution that can only work out for like a span of a week, maybe 10 days tops. But past that, if things are still going, if the controversy is still going on and people are still discussing about it, then maybe it would probably be time to actually go and address the issue. And that's not what Channel Awesome did. Instead, what they have done for weeks is not only be silent about it, but block others that would bring up this issue. And again, when you're in drama, that's another scenario that is actually quite common, is that, of course, you're going to get a lot of people that will be very disrespectful and they will attack you with uh, the controversy regarding it. So, being so like, uh, banning people is kind of a common step as well. It is kind of a common human reaction in order to do so. But the fact that they have been doing it for weeks, that is not normal. Maybe for the few, like maybe for the first few days, but not if it's been going on for weeks. Now, they, of course, they have been pretty silent about it, but it wasn't until on the day of that that the former contributors would release the Google Doc that Channel Awesome would finally say something. They have finally had a moment that they went on social media on Facebook and Twitter where they decided to shed light on their perspective onto this whole situation, onto the whole hashtag, uh, hashtag change the channel movement. And my God, it could not have been any worse than what they have executed. Because seriously... The thing that they have addressed is probably about like three to four paragraphs long. It's just like a short little thing that you could read in less than a minute. And it's just the way that they would word things out is so bad. 
They, they did not even apologize for anything that they have done in the past. What the, Like, at the most that they have said, no joke, is that they regret that the former contributors feel that way. They don't regret their own actions. They've never even stated that what they have done was wrong in any sort of way. They just look at that and say, Oh, well, we're sorry that you feel that way. Yeah, they're sorry about, oh, we're sorry that you have this opinion about it. And would later go and say that they're the victims of the scenario. Never once do they take any humility. Never once do they look back and see that they would do anything wrong. But then they would just say that, oh, well, okay, sorry you feel that way. And that's it. And I kid you not, I don't think there is a single person on the internet that looked at that excuse and bought it because it received such massive backlash and it really did play a part on how Channel Awesome is really in trouble on this situation. Like, it's as if Channel Awesome saw a major fire and they decided to just throw gasoline hoping that all right, it'll just go down. But at that point, it's just really, it made things so much worse for Channel Awesome. It's almost as if they release an article or they just release one page saying, yeah, we know this is going on and we don't care and we don't think we did anything wrong. They might as well have just said that. Now, rumors have been spreading around that this is from Mike Mashad and his brother Greg. Like, they're the ones who are handling... Like, they're the ones who actually wrote that message and released it. But that's also another issue with that article right there. Is that there is no name attached to it. So, really, it's everyone at Channel Awesome that is getting the blame on this. Mike Mashad, Greg Mashad, Doug Walker, and Rob Walker. Like, they're the ones who are going to take responsibility of that bullcrap message. And really, and it's honestly why they really have been going in a downward spiral. Now, in terms of the consequences that they have actually received regarding the uh, controversy that is going on right now, at first, when the Change the Channel movement all began, it started out a little bit small. At the most that happened is that there was a mass exodus going on in the website where many contributors, uh, around a dozen I would say, have decided to quit the website considering the toxic environment that is currently shed light onto Channel Awesome. And up to this point right now, there have been a lot of them that left. And there are some that range from being the more recent contributors, while others have been considered some of the biggest contributors in there, like right up there with the Nostalgia Critic, and they have been there since the very beginning of the website, since it opened back in 2008. And I'm talking about people like Suede, Rap Critic, Film Brain, Ton the Shadows, and Linkara, in which some people would say that's probably the biggest loss that they have received coming from this mass exodus right here. But you know, the interesting thing is that I am pretty sure that Channel Awesome doesn't care. Now, like I said before, uh, one of the points, I think uh, the first one, yeah, like uh, point number 11, is that time has moved on 
and they're caring a lot less about the website and the contributors working in there, and Channel Awesome's Fortress now resides onto the YouTube channel, which not too long ago hit a million subscribers. So they care a lot more about that, and their main revenue actually comes from that YouTube channel, while the, um, while the website, honestly, at, at this point, like, they could just kick off everybody out of the website, they could shut it down, and they couldn't care less. So yeah, the, like, this controversy gave the biggest hit onto the website, but Channel Awesome doesn't necessarily care about the website. If you really want to get their attention, then you have to get after their YouTube channel. And so the big question is, has this movement hit the YouTube channel? And oh god, you have no idea. They have been hit so badly, it is ridiculous. Now beforehand, when it started, it was pretty much business as usual. Maybe there were a few days where they lost a bit of uh, subscribers and stuff like that. But for the most part, like, they have been gaining subscribers, people have been watching the Nostalgia Critic videos as usual. Like, things have been going well. The YouTube channel wasn't hit. It wasn't until on April 2nd when they released the Google Doc and when Channel Awesome brought out the bullcrap non-apology message. That's when the YouTube channel got hit hard. And as I am recording this, they have lost about 14,000 subscribers in less than a week. And day after day, the, the number of subscribers that they had would go down. Like on Monday, it would start things off by losing more than 600. Then on Tuesday, it would they would lose about 2,000. And then on Wednesday, they would lose 4,000. And then on Thursday, they would lose 5,000. And it just goes down from there. And keep in mind, it's not necessarily losing more than 14,000 subscribers. This is actually their number going down by 14,000. So at the time, they could be gaining some subscribers. There are some new people that would subscribe to the Nostalgia Critic, but that would also mean there were more subscribers that would leave. So really, it's not just a mass exodus onto the contributors, the people who would work at Channel Awesome, but also, it's a mass exodus onto the fan base where people would leave the Channel Awesome website and the, the Channel Awesome YouTube channel just left to right. So this really has been affecting the website really badly. Not, not just the website, this really did hit the YouTube channel badly. But honestly, I'm not sure if we even made it to the biggest punishment yet. Like... If there is going to be a massive punishment towards Channel Awesome, then personally, that's going to be if ever YouTube themselves decide to step in. Like, if this controversy really does go to the mainstream, then they will take the precaution to go and punish Channel Awesome royally because they did put in some new rules and some new punishments ever since the Logan Paul controversy where if ever YouTube would catch Channel Awesome on this and they decided to go and shut and not not shut them down like they, they don't really delete YouTube channels if they would then they would immediately de delete PewDiePie and Logan Paul but if they would go and punish Channel Awesome then they would temporarily take away their ad revenue 
And also, for a good while, they will get rid of any permission for Channel Awesome to be featured on the trending page. Like, they would be banned from that for a while. Which, that's where a lot of the Nostalgia Critic videos would get their views. You would frequently see the Nostalgia Critic being on the trending page on YouTube whenever he would release a review. So that would be a giant hit. Rather, if YouTube is actually going to do that, we'll have to wait and see. But already as it is, Channel Awesome is getting punished royally for this. And if I may go and give my personal opinion onto all this, uh, just to give you guys a little bit of context about myself and how I feel with Channel Awesome. Of course, I may have never been um, a contributor to Channel Awesome before, but I am definitely one of those people who was a longtime follower of Channel Awesome. Like, I was a big fan of uh, that guy with the glasses during its prime. In fact, I would even say that Doug Walker, along with James Rolfe, have been my biggest inspirations to go and create videos on YouTube and all around the internet. So they were my biggest inspirations to become the internet personality that I am today. And from there, um, honestly, looking at the Google Doc, reading all the events that occurred, in my opinion, a lot of the things that they have that they have mentioned, I don't really see much of it that's really new. I have been aware about many of the stories of how Allison got kicked out and the treatment that she has gotten about the treatment of Holly and about the disastrous production of, um, you know, the disastrous production that occurred during the anniversary videos, uh, about the cruelty of Mike Michaud, about the poor management that's going on in Channel Awesome. This has been very well known within the reviewing community. People are aware of it. What the Google Doc added that's new is pretty much the fact that they would add details into it, specifically what is going on in there. And while this has been in life before, never has never had this been so prominent onto mainstream media as much as this. Like really, like th this just came back at a full force and really returned to haunt Channel Awesome. And for me, just looking at all this, it really is kind of disheartening because I remember when I started making videos, it was a legitimate dream of mine. It was one of my biggest goals to have my to have my videos be featured onto Channel Awesome and onto that guy with the glasses to be like the cartoon and western animation representative of Channel Awesome, to be in the ranks of Linkara, Angry Joe, Spoonie, the Nostalgia Critic, to be among those guys, and to appear in the anniversary videos. That was a dream for me and many other reviewers back in the beginning of the 2010s. But now reading this and seeing what has happened, honestly, I do feel very appreciative, not just what I have now, like, not only of the opportunities that I've received, but also of the opportunities that I've not received. Like, yeah, I have tried to get into Channel Awesome, but I have been rejected, of course. But the thing is, is that I actually am lucky that I actually did not get into the moment where I would be in uh, 
channel awesome and I don't have to deal with all that crap. I don't have to deal with Mike Machado. I don't have to deal with the crazy productions and I don't have to deal with anything like that. So nowadays, it's no longer my dream to go into channel awesome. Even if right now they would give me the opportunity to join the website, I would most likely just reject it. I mean, nowadays, I guess the dream kind of got shifted a little bit where now I would be more than honored to go and appear in a Nostalgia Critic video. Because um, the one thing I will say though, that if there is actually any signs of improvement since those events that has been chronicled in that Google Doc, uh, there was a moment this week that Malcolm Ray, one of the actors of Channel Awesome, decided to step up and he decided to give a little bit of his opinion. He mentioned how if there is one thing that really did improve is actually how Doug and Rob Walker are handling the production of their videos, how they're handling the production of the Nostalgia Critic videos. Considering that how they've grown to be much bigger with so many different sketches and using so many different actors, they're a lot more organized, they're a lot more professional about it, and apparently being involved with it is a lot of fun. Like, you would have the time of your life. So, it would definitely be a dream of mine if I would go and do some kind of co-review with the Nostalgia Critic. Like, he would appear as a special guest in one of my videos, or if I would appear in, a or like, be a special guest in a Nostalgia Critic episode. That would actually really be awesome. Maybe not right now. Like, first we have to have Doug Walker, like, make sure he shapes back up his reputation, put him back up on his feet so that the Nostalgia Critic can be a bit of a positive figure again. But, like, not right now, but maybe eventually in the future I will. But that's the whole thing with uh, what's going on. And it is honestly disheartening to see that something of which that I've really looked up to and played a big part of my life in the past is really just this shady company that treated their employees just really badly. It, it is unfortunate to go and read about it. And at this point right now, with the way that it is seriously affecting both the website and the channel, they have really passed the point where an apology would be acceptable. Like, it's not going to be handled like that anymore. Like, it, the, like they're, they're not going to solve this just by saying they're sorry or anything like that. But I will say, though, that if they do make an apology, then they have to do it the right way. Now, I've heard rumors that apparently Channel Awesome is considering to make an apology video and stuff like that. But one thing I will say right now, this apology video, if they are going to make that, it cannot be from Doug. While they do have some issues with Doug Walker, he's not the main person that the former contributors have a beef with. It is with Mike Michaud. He needs to take his lazy ass out of the couch, record himself, and he's the one who has to directly make the public apology about it. It has to be from him. It's not necessarily from Doug. It's from him. If Doug does it, maybe he'll get away with it. But Mike Mashad will be will still be viewed as a horrible person. And honestly, like I said before, apologies ain't really gonna cut it in this case. And if they really do want to try to solve this problem, then they have to take action. They have to do something about it to show that they really do mean that they are sorry 
and they're going to try to improve it. And honestly, the like the easiest way that I can think of right now is fire Mike Mashad. Just get rid of him. Get get rid of Mike. Get rid of Greg. They're nothing but dead weight. They're a burden to channel awesome. They need to get rid of them ASAP. And I understand that Doug and Rob Walker decided to bring them in because they don't want to really handle the business aspect of running the company. But honestly, I believe that they should. Like, I don't see why not that Doug and Rob should get rid of Mike and Greg. Like, Doug, Rob, if by the insane chance that you actually are listening to this, you have to really consider that maybe you guys should be the CEO of Channel Awesome. I mean, Doug is already literally the face of Channel Awesome. Why don't you guys actually run the company? I know that you're going to have a little bit more of some responsibilities to do with it, but at least you'll get the money that Mike Machad is making and it will go directly to you guys. So there's a lot more benefit to getting rid of Mike. And I mean, if you don't want to do it, I mean, you can get your dad to do it. He's already working hard on your videos. So maybe he can run Channel Awesome as the new CEO. So that's honestly the big thing right over here is that they have to, like in my opinion, they have to find a way to just get rid of Mike Mashad if they really want to have a change of pace in terms of the issues that they have regarding the management. Sure, there has been word that's been spreading around that the production and uh, like regarding Doug and Rob's aspect, like they have improved themselves over the years since the disastrous events of the um, anniversary videos. But honestly, they like, uh, like for now, I feel like they have to make like, honestly, an apology isn't going to cut it. They have to make an, uh, uh, they, they have to make, uh, 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 sorry about that. I don't know why I couldn't speak there. They have to make an action. They have like, honestly, actions speak louder than words. So if you want to say you're sorry, you have to show it. And honestly, there is uh, one thing that I want to address regarding the change the channel movement is actually regarding its purpose. Because a lot of people aren't necessarily doing it right when they're jumping on board with the hashtag change the channel movement. Because I'm going to say this right now, that the main thing is to highlight the mismanagement that has been done at Channel Awesome, uh, at Channel awesome and the poor treatment that the former contributors have received. It's to shed light on that and it's to show an example of what not to do when running your company. So when a lot of people would jump onto the hashtag change the channel movement, of course, uh, with these types of dramas, sometimes it can go all over the place and the main focus is a little bit nowhere. Like they forgot about the point of the hashtag change the channel movement. Some people would just join in because they think it's a good excuse to go and bash the nostalgia critic as much as they want. Some people just use it as a way to complain about how the recent episodes of Nostalgia Critic just suck and stuff like that. And honestly, they, they do it for all these things without the main purpose being that it's to help out the former contributors and to shed light onto the mismanagement. So that's kind of the big thing right over here. I mean, like, I, I know for a fact that there are a lot of people that really don't care 
about the drama that's going on and they want to try to avoid it. In fact, the only people that would defend Channel Awesome during this whole thing are literally just the ignorant and the selfish, where people would make comments defending Channel Awesome only by saying that they don't care about the drama, they don't care about the people involved, all they want is just Doug Walker to make videos for them without caring about any others, any other feelings or anything like that. That's the only defense that people could give to Channel Awesome in their current situation. But it's not about that. It's not even really about Doug Walker or the Nostalgia Critic in general. The main thing is about Mike Michaud, how Channel Awesome is running as a company, and also the treatment that they have deserved. It's to shed light upon those and hopefully that many other companies can look at that as an example of what not to do and for Channel Awesome to hopefully look at their past and to see maybe if they can improve themselves from there. To really, like, notice that they have done wrong in the past and try to improve themselves from there. That's the main thing about the Change the Channel movement. If you're going to join in, do it because you want to help the former contributors. Not because you want to hate on the Nostalgia Critic and try to attack him right there. So yeah, that's pretty much all of my thoughts on the current situation of the hashtag change the channel movement. And if I have any final words to say in this situation, I just want to give a big congratulations to all the former contributors, including uh, Allison, Kaylin, Holly, um, uh, William, Lewis, uh, Jacob, Leon, Seth, uh, Beth, Sifera, uh, and uh, Benjamin, and John, and all those people and Gonzo and every contributor, like all the former contributors who decide, and also um, also Tom and Lindsay and all, like every former contributor who decided that they want to step up and they want to go and address the issue. You guys have been so brave about it. And honestly, I couldn't be more proud of you. And I highly, and for those of you watching this, I highly encourage that you go and check out their YouTube channels. They're highly entertaining. Uh, there's even a, a little section um, you'll probably uh, check. You can easily find it on social media and stuff like that where there's an entire, like another Google Doc where they would list all the current and former contributors and you can find ways on how you can support them and how you can watch them either like on Patreon and YouTube, on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. So I highly encourage that you go and check it out right there. And one thing that I will say on Channel Awesome, I mean, I love you guys. You have been a great inspiration for me, but with this entire controversy, I like... It, it makes it so hard for me to even watch your current stuff. Like, I have yet to even seen, uh, like, any of the current Nostalgia Critic episodes because of this. And honestly, yes, I am one of those people that did unsubscribe because of this entire drama right over here. So, I really... So, honestly, I really do hope that uh, Doug and Brad can go and actually do something about all this. If they can go and actually... Um, address the situation, maybe if they can go and take action, that if Mike Machado is not going to do anything, then he's got to go. And yeah, hopefully 
we will see we will see some improvements towards channel awesome but yeah for now i guess all we can do is just watch the titanic sink as low as it can and with all that said that is all that i've got for this week so thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the animation podcast you can find more of my work at film-book.com all you have to do is search for metro brunette or the animation podcast you can also find me on Twitter at Animat505. Now, if you've listened to this podcast on iTunes or any other podcast service, do you mind doing us a little bit of a favor and rate and review this episode? And if you are listening to this podcast on YouTube, then hit that like button in our video and leave us a little comment on your thoughts about the news this week. Tune in next week for the latest episode of the Animation Podcast and all things animation. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next week, see you later, dudes.